Yeah, I have the Joker <laughs> disease, but instead of involuntarily laughing, I have to podcast. I have to tell people my opinions on the trial of the Chicago 7, or else, uh, you know, <laughs> night terrors, everything else. They didn't have the courage to follow through with that Joker movie, because in any in any nuanced understanding of the Joker, you inevitably arrive at the conclusion that he would, he must become a podcaster by the end. 100%. The fact oh, that yeah. that's not in the comics where like Joker starts a podcast and it's just like shitting on Batman in the same way that Red Scare shits on fat people. Like <laughs> that would do numbers. Uh, imagine it's, there's a corporate takeover because the Joker's Patreon is just so thick. <laughs> Yeah, just like, are you tired of going to the post office? <laughs> like, you know, doing ad reads, mattress companies, everything else. I want to, I want to be there for the day that Joker sells out, and you know, he's ti- he has to, he's tired of shipping his Smilex toxic gas through the mail, right? So finally, there's a business I can help him out with that. Ideology is invisible. And I'm tired of pretending it's not. And Zizek's just like, yeah, sh- that's very true, Joker. The <laughs> <laughs> one who jokes. <laughs> I-, I would listen to that podcast, actually. Fucking 100 k a month within the first three weeks of being on Patreon. I would listen to that podcast even if it wasn't the real Joker, uh, who I believe in, like, Santa Claus. Uh, but if it was even if it was like the San Jose Joker or someone who was truly oh, yeah. living as the Joker, but then never commenting on it and just doing traditional, like if you if you, yeah, just majority report, but with the Joker is a step up for the majority report. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Well, some of the takes are a bit more homicidal, but on the other hand, they're a bit less lib. So you know, <laughs> you take what you get. It's an entertaining Jamie a lot, but that's that's you know that's good. That's normal. Yeah. You know, every once in a while, a producer gets murdered on air, but you know the laughs keep coming. So, am I going to complain? No. Just just like the scene in um, the Heath Ledger one, where he he like <laughs> he throw he throws down one hot take and makes all the producers fight for it. <laughs> Welcome to Kino Lefter episode 97. I'm your host, Evan at McDonald Tweets. And joining me for the first time, our, our first uh, incredible crossover event, I've got Robin Brett from the Dumb and Awful podcast. Gentlemen, how are you doing? Absolutely fantastic. I'm still I'm still thinking of Joker with a computer becoming a femboy. <laughs> <laughs> you want to know how I got this ooh, ooh, oh, oh? <laughs> VTuber my dad was a nasty chibi <laughs> a real sundary i'm looking at my subs and if i don't get 10 in the next minute gotham city will be on fire daddy will be very upset are oh, you an animated series joker with that one huh nice yeah mark hamill that's that's the, the joker to that me is you true. know that is the classic joker voice I, I did like I, I did like eighties. I can't do the other one. Nicholson I'm Joker is at uh, Heath Ledger. Nicholson Joker is cool just because he w- just went to an art gallery for like ten minutes in that movie. Yeah, that I was just, so bizarre. I just enjoyed that. It was like 
he liked having fun yeah he, he really was the fun loving uh a blow snorting joker that really just wanted to put on a parade and see some art and to be honest gay icon <laughs> that's true he was a connoisseur um well we're here together uh to both talk about the joker and his crimes but also the 1996 uh doug lyman film swingers uh, so Swingers, this is a film about a wannabe actor who has a hard time moving on from a breakup, but he's lucky to have supportive friends. Um, so we've been chatting about doing this episode for a long time. Um, I had never seen Swingers before because I think it's a little bit before my time. Um, so I wanted, I want to ask. Yes, you we're guys, old. Uh, yeah, that's correct. Humble brag. <laughs> You're old. Cool, okay. Okay. Hey. We're getting into it. You're old. I'm a I'm a cherubic baby. I've been, I feel like I've been um, insulted three times already. I, <laughs> yes, yes, we're old. Yes, our movie sucks. Also, I've pitched. I pitched you behind the scenes here. I've pitched other movies yes. in the past, right? Two keynotes, like, hey, you want to come on and talk about a movie? And I, I don't want to say it's exactly this, <laughs> but I would pitch like an Oscar-winning film and and get as a response something that's just like yeah are you sure that's sort of a big one to bite off don't you? <laughs> like, there's a little bit of, of like when you go to the batting cages and it's like oh cool 80 miles an hour it's like hey champ why don't you just start with the 45 mile an hour one? <laughs> you know maybe something about just guys hanging out and being dudes would be your speed and so i'm just you're, you're on strike three of of coming for our diminished intellectual capacity uh it's something that also comes with our great age <laughs> Well, you know, it's it's really tough because, you know, you have these moments in your life where you think, what film am I going to am I going to do with these guys? And you have and you have your little special podcast, right? And you and you talk about the movies on it. And you know what? Sometimes the stars align and uh, you know, there's there's a tectonic shift and every once in a while we get an episode together. And I think I think this is the case. Um or alternatively, I will burn any bridges with you guys and absolutely turn out a shit episode. Um, and then unfortunately we won't be able to get to those other films you've suggested. Um, because of course uh, this podcast, is it good? Is it bad? Who knows? I think it's good. Think it, it's it is. Good. It's uh, a bit of self flattery that you think you have control over this episode being good or shit. <laughs> the shitness of this episode, I hold in my hand like the fucking infinity gems right now. Okay. I will create a riff so fucking obnoxious. <laughs> so offensive. Yeah. Christ himself wouldn't sub to our Patreon. <laughs> I'll, I'll be sweating over my keyboard. Uh, and of course, there are two big buttons saying uh, upload and uh, like lose in your computer somewhere. Um, and it's just like, you know, you have the ability to decide whether or not this is going to be the year's most celebrated podcast where it's written about in, you know, all of the important left magazines. The Baffler is saying, wow, you need to listen to this. Or uh, I am hunted down like a dog in the streets of frozen Edmonton. So, yeah, I, I want to ask, uh, what's what's your deal with swingers? I, I figure this was an important an important film for you at some point. Uh, like, I, you know, I, I've watched it. I enjoyed my experience with it. Wait, wait, wait. Before um, we get in there, I'm still thinking about yes. what Patreon's Jesus would sub to. Definitely not Red okay. Scare. Here's the thing. Jesus will sub to any Patreon that will accept him and will acknowledge, open its heart yeah. to him and say, you are welcome. And when you say to Christ, you are welcome, uh, he enters your heart and changes things. In our case, for six sixty nine a month. 
but it, it, you know, it's different for everyone. So instead of the miracle of fishes and loaves, it's just Patreon subs. His bank account has one dollar, and yet it's enough to cover all of them. Really, it, this is like feeding the five thousand or whatever left Patreon because it is just like five loaves and some fish, the equivalent of like twenty dollars that just cycles every month between twenty different podcasts. <laughs> That's it. It's just me subbing to Beep Beep, who subs to Dumb Bitch Media, who subs to Kino Lefter, who subs to uh rev left who subs to street fight who subs to dumb and awful and on <laughs> and on forever it really is a miracle uh you know velocity of money isn't just for the fed it's also for the speed at which the leftists move money between themselves what the fuck is velocity of money it's an economics joke it's for the one person who uh, will get it that is i want to <laughs> i remember hearing that in my econ 102 class that i think i shit the bed in i i remember that little i remember little, i remember little, hearing that uh as the the title track of a juvenile album in like 1998 <laughs> velocity of money <laughs> did, I, did we say our name did i say I, i'm rob at dumb and awful i don't think i even said that and i'm brett everyone else board this is hi i'm evan at you have, you've not structured this, this podcast program. well <laughs> no it's i i embrace chaos you know i i think that uh out of horror beauty emerges right i i think that uh you know, you, you just get these. What would it be like to be behind the scenes of the dumb and awful and Kino Lefter episode? Man, the the riffs were on fire back in those days. You know, you you had all these big players in the clubs, virtual clubs, and you know it was just so funny. And you know they weren't so PC about all these jokes. And the women, my God, they were just they were just hooking on you, and they wouldn't let go. And you know sometimes you get knocked down on your ass, right? And you're looking around, you're saying. What the hell am I going to do? But it's those real friends who are going to be there to support you to, to get you through it. And, you know, it's kind of that's that's the atmosphere I want to I want to create there. I want for this entire episode. There's like, you know, background murmuring. Right. You're in the club. <laughs> you know, you're, you're, you're being regaled with with a partying story right now. That's what's happening. This is it, this is sort of like a, a behind the scenes, like when they do like behind the scenes documentaries or stories about like 90s SNL. Uh, just in the sense that like the on-screen product is shit and not funny, but behind the scenes, everyone also hates each other. <laughs> and if that, if that is what carries through in this pod, I, I'd say, yeah, we're, we're the, the podcast equivalent of SNL. <laughs> exactly. I mean, somehow I continuing to use plan. I, I uh, like, um, what's her name? I'm humiliating myself by dressing like Ruth Bader Ginsburg. But if I'm being honest, it's more of a prurient thing for me. <laughs> uh, <sighs> classic humor. Well, it's very hard to appreciate the sort of dumb and awful style. If you aren't familiar with the classics, the Iliad, the Odyssey, uh, the Aeneid. Yeah. I'll be honest. I make a lot of Aeneid uh, riffs. Oh my God. Yeah. Like, you know, who else needs to fabricate a, a mythic history of Rome? Right. There's so much we can learn from the Aeneid uh, when you think about, you know, where are interesting Florida locations and people, um, you know, the Florida Democratic Party, what they're up to. Um, I think they go, you know, hand in glove very well. Yeah, it's like who needs to create a a, a, a mythic backstory, right? Anyway, uh, swingers, this is just like me. I was Vince Vaughn. I was very cool and I had sex with everybody. When I was <laughs> there we go. That's it. Wingers is a is a good movie. It's directed by uh, Doug Lehman, Doug Lyman, Doug Lyman, who baller. Uh, he also directed Edge of Tomorrow. He directed the yes, entire Bourne series. Yep. <laughs> he's like he 
he does the action movies now. It's starring John Favreau, who made wrote all, it. He wrote it too. Yeah, John Favreau wrote this movie. So this one's like, and he's he's the Avengers guy. Just putting yes. it out there. Yeah. So John Favreau, uh, the guy who directed the original Iron Man, the one who has basically created the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, like the style and the feel and everything. Uh, that's the guy who wrote this movie. Who's also the lead. And it's no Doug Lyman's not the lead. No, John Favreau. Fa- yeah, sorry, 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 sorry. Right, yeah. He wrote this movie and it's the lead. He did not direct this one. Um, but this was it's an interesting movie to go back and watch because like it's uh it was huge when Rob and I were young, because as we said, we're old people now. But every single person in this movie basically got big off of swingers. Vince Vaughn, this is his first lead role. He had like three acting gigs before this. Um Ron Livingston, the guy who ends up being a lead in Office Space, this is one of his first big roles. He takes a few small things after this and then gets Office Space. Uh, Vince Vaughn went from this to the Jurassic World, the Lost World movie, uh, and then and then Old School, where because he had done so many character acting, uh, they didn't think he could do comedy, right? Like that's how Vince Vaughn started with this, and then Doug Liman went from this to doing Born Identity. Uh, Favreau went from this. Uh, he had a few other smaller acting gigs then he got to direct a small movie and then got elf and that's what launched his career uh heather graham went from this to boogie nights like this basically launched every every main character in this like it launched their career and you know you can draw a direct line between swingers and much like the marvel universe that john favreau would be instrumental in creating it all builds up to the charming 2014 uh film chef starring and directed and written by John Favreau. Um, and uh, that's why we're doing a stealth chef episode. At least I am. You'll be talking to me about swingers and I'll be talking about a delightful, uh, you know, reflecting on the middle of your life film about making Cuban sandwiches and reconnecting with your son. That's actually a great, I, I love that idea for a podcast structure because it, it just dispenses with the myth that we're actually listening to each other and responding in the moment and not just (laughs) really just saying our own shit that we feel like and waiting for there to be a silence in which to insert ourselves. (laughs) I've had my lines prepared for weeks. I don't know about you guys. I have them written for me. My producers come in and sort of bring them to me. And, you know, I I get a list of like 10 chit chat questions that I can ask my guests. And it's sort of like, you know, what, what was it like, you know, in LA back in those days is, is this movie kind of like a documentary? uh and uh you know that's sort of where i come i from. like how that's you've, you've now the art. you've now stealth inserted what i i genuinely believe was one of your pre-planned questions into the riff just to soft launch it <laughs> <laughs> you know we could we could take it or leave it I'm gonna, I'm gonna take it and say this movie uh i i appreciate it sort of for different reasons now than i did initially but it does have that sort of I'm taking a shot. I'm running up. I'm, I'm doing the, the triple jump as I dive into the sand pit of analysis here. It has like a, a cinema verite quality. I don't know it does. Okay. It does a little bit. Where, where it's just like that and uh, I think a nice corollary, The Boys and Girls Guide to Getting Down, uh, another underappreciated movie, sort of early 2000s, I think. Just sort of uh, with, without making it seem cool or shitty, just points a, a camera at what like going out at this time in this place was like. And it, it's never going to be seen as like high art because this just isn't the type of uh, life that your typical like film critic or New York Times reviewer uh, appreciates, knows about, cares about. But it, it is interesting to me. I, I enjoy. I haven't seen this movie in like a decade, and I I gotta say we both enjoyed it. Yeah, I was. For those who haven't seen it before, 
Swingers is what 1996, so like mid late 90s. It's capturing. It's a it's a a, a dude bro movie. Uh, the whole plot is John Favreau, who's the lead, has is going through a breakup. It's been a few months. He can't get over. He's just like a whiny sad sack for most of the film about it. And his boys are trying to make him feel better. Uh, his main two friends being Vince Vaughn and Ron Livingston, and they're trying to help him through this breakup. Genuinely heartwarming. Like I remembered it as being a dirtbag movie because it kind of is. Like you know, there's. Yeah, I mean, it, it. I think it's one of those things like, uh, like fucking Russian literature. I mean, there's a million examples of this, but like where you read something in school, and you're like, who cares? The guy turns into a bug. His mom's is scared or something. This is stupid. And then you come back to it, like in your early 30s and you're just like oh no (laughs) you're you're now mentally prepared to understand what this depressed writer uh was saying and i i think in my teens and and early 20s this movie was really formative in terms of the like go out and get pussy like be a cool player guy like the, the people the characters in this film think that they're frank sinatra yes like overtly yes. they they play the, that type of music the whole time they they do homages to like cool gangster movies. there's good fellas there's reservoir dog shots that they do mm-hmm. just to, to highlight the fact that these guys think they're cool and when you are a teenager or in your early 20s and there's no there's frankly no way you can be cool at that point what have you done you're not a cool person yeah you, i mean you can't fucking rent a car right you, you're not a fucking <laughs> action hero uh i this was one of two posters I had on my my fuckboy wall, Pulp Fiction, and the Swingers one of him like uh, doffing his martini. In <laughs> because there was just something like, oh man, when, when I get older, that's what I'm gonna that's what I'm gonna be doing. Like, check out Vince Vaughn goes to clubs and like he's an asshole, but like then it still works out. And yeah, he's got his sad sack friend, but like you know they figure it out. He gets laid eventually. Like that was the hero's journey to me. The first time I saw this was just like you know. Leaving town and doing the full circle until you get some pussy. Yes, uh, that was not what I got out of it this time. Yeah, no, that's that's definitely uh, how it seemed the first few times I watched it when I was younger. It was it was it was a go out guys movie, and now I'm watching it like this is a tender movie about male friendships and supporting them through emotional turmoil. It is a movie about buddies in a in a big way, and I think that sort of speaks to my relationship with the movie because. Of course, it wasn't very formative for me. I, I could I could imagine the poster, you know, walking into a movie rental place. I'd go like, oh, yeah, that's that's swingers. I have no idea what it's about. Um, but I think that for me, this was almost like American graffiti. But for 1996, like it's just capturing this moment where it's like this. This was the coolest time in the world. Right. And Vince Vaughn was the coolest kind of guy you could be for maybe five to six years like there was a period where it's like if you're vince vaughn like that's the apex that's where you want to be in life yeah get get some so, bowling shoes some baggy jeans a tank top yeah. white undershirt that you leave open with the button down that has a print on it yep that, that Wallet was about, chain. it's a time capsule it is absolutely but it is shockingly heartwarming to go back and watch it now and i don't know what rob and i were we did a like live commentary track on this on our patreon feed but we're saying like it's hard to say if the movie is heartwarming and less dirtbaggy like they they're they're dudes in the 90s so there's like homophobia that's shitty that they they do get casually racist against an indian man for no fucking reason no it it is the the 
the ultimate proto podcaster movie it is dudes rock <laughs> yes. to the max like we're saying slurs we're doing racisms uh, our privilege is off the charts we're we're being assholes to people and thinking it's coming off as endearing yeah it is it is so yeah. there's literally multiple scenes where they all just sit on a hot couch playing nhl 96 and fucking <laughs> each other over not even with just just cheating being dicks yeah. to each other yeah they also perfectly capture like uh, what is the burgeoning pickup artist movement in this. Like you can see the the genesis of it of like, yeah, you got to neg a little. They don't say those words, but it's like you got to be kind of a dick. You got to act like a player. You got to be money, right? Uh, you got you got to be like an alpha when you're going after the girl. You can see all of the early genesis of the, these like fucking nauseating things that became like PUA and red pill and everything else. It's I mean it's it's maybe it's just the the distance now. But like one of the the through lines is just, and, and you could you could see it as vaguely like documentarian or like like how to because it is just Vince Vaughn trying to. What, what's another movie we saw like this recently where someone oh Sleepless in Seattle right it's like a grimier mm. Sleepless in Seattle where Tom Hanks or John Favreau is just like I've been married or in a relationship for so long I have no idea what it's like out there anymore. And we have Vince Vaughn as sort of like the uh, horny Virgil uh, guiding him through the river sticks of dating and just saying like, okay, here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. Here's what you got to do. And, and I think for someone who, if you're a teenager, it's, you know, it, it can be tough sometimes to like navigate when you first get to college or you're in your early twenties, like finding your scene, talking to people, like overcoming social anxiety I think there is a certain allure for a lot of guys to having Vince Vaughn saying like, oh, here's what you got to do. Look how cool I am. That's how you know I'm right. It definitely like brought me back to a certain point in my life, probably like in my first year of university, where I basically did not know anything about how to socialize with people. Yeah, it's tough. Um, yeah, like I, I had basically spent most of my teenage years as an air cadet. So my summers, I would like, you know, do drill and march around and like get yelled at by 17 year olds. Um, so going to college was definitely like a, you know, a new world, right? There's people who might be interested in dating me and I might be interested in dating them. How does that work? Um, and, you know, you fall into like these new, you know, social groups and like categories. And it's like the appeal um, of, you know, I, I wouldn't necessarily say like pickup artistry, but like, you know, the, the the game that they play in this film is like, ah, I've cracked the code for how to, you know, be successful in uh, in my social life and dating. Right. And it's like, you know, you, you found that you found this cheat code to life. And of course, you have to use it. Right. And like it, it, it requires no inner work. Right. It doesn't come with the the pain or struggle of, you know, finding out who you really are and being honest with yourself, which, of course, is, you know, sort of the the nice ending of swingers. Right. Is like you know, authenticity <laughs> can be, you know, a, a good solution to this. Um, but ultimately, like, you know, I like movies about friends um, and just like, you know, being there for someone. And uh, on that level, I really like this. Yeah, you say it's it's not that uh, PUA-ish uh, pickup artist that people don't know. There's like a movement in the early 2000s about how essentially Joel Osteen-like gurus would collect money uh from horny engineers which by the way those are they might be off-putting but being horny and being an engineer 
not illegal. Those are, you can be that. <laughs> Sadly, There's not yet. Nothing shameful. Not yet. On like, I have to believe. It sounds wrong, but for some reason, there's actually nothing shameful about being a horny engineer. <laughs> I think that's just like one of the permutations of humanity that we see. Uh, but PUA got big because, like you said, people uh, like you, Evan, uh, or like me, or like a lot of people would get into this new situation in college or after college, and it's just like, how do you meet new friends? How do you open conversations? And like a, a Pentecostal preacher, uh, the, the guru would say, like, I have the answer. And it's a 400 page book that costs $1,000. And you have to come to like a week long seminar. And what they did then was speak engineering language to all these poor horny people and say, like, okay, if it was easy, you would have figured it out already, because you're so smart. All of you are so look, you're here in this room, that means you're so smart and ambitious. Uh, talking to people is actually very complex. And that's why in this tome, we're going to have five different phases broken down into seven subunits. We're going to give you direct and indirect opener. <laughs> we're going to tell you where to uh, point your feet. You probably don't know about pointing your feet when you're standing in conversation. We're going to tell you how to approach. Do not approach from a 90-degree angle or 180 immediately behind the person. you got to come up from the side so you don't make them literally jump out of their seat, you goddamn creeper. Like, <laughs> they, just, they throw all this information at you um with, with a, a hefty dose of misogyny because you have to dehumanize the the person you're talking to in order to think that like they are just a machine where if you hit the right buttons you get the right output uh but they do all that right and try to, to teach these guys who are in good faith just trying to learn how to socialize and then what you see the fatal flaw in what this movie works through the john favreau character is everyone has their little systems right and it might make you feel good intellectually to go like, okay, okay, I have my system. I know the technology. Here we go. Time to execute it. But every time Favreau walks up to someone and tries doing what his friends are telling him, it becomes like a whole ordeal, an endeavor. Yeah. The person he's talking to mm -hmm. vanishes and it becomes his one-man performance and you can see the anxiety get in and, and, and the nervousness like, oh, God, this is it. This is it. This is I'm standing at midcourt taking my shot for the $10,000. And it's sort of nice to see these little flashes and eventually at the end he, he figures it out which is just like you gotta you gotta just be reasonable about your expectations like you know what be yourself be the best version of yourself but don't overweight the interactions you have with strangers you've only talked to this person yeah. for four minutes you should be four minutes worth invested right as long as you can basically keep that line it doesn't matter if you're a little goofy or depressed or funny or or while or whatever it is uh that is sort of the 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 end state here i don't know I, I thought it was sweet seeing him go through those trials and tribulations before discovering like you know what there's a bazillion people uh if you just aren't actively weird or off-putting it'll work out for you it's it's nice um i i always appreciate movies um whose lessons are like sometimes you just gotta dance you just gotta be open to experience and i'm just sitting there like yeah good for him and then you like see your own reflection in the television screen and you're just like you know slumped over uh you know drinking your your third bubbly of the day and it's like damn you know makes me think about my life but i i think there's some connective tissue here i think um with my own life because i was thinking like oh you know like i never really like took any of like the you know pickup artistry stuff like very seriously i was like obviously aware of it culturally but i never mm -hmm. went to it for some kind of like you know rule book but i think that sort of maybe my experience of like you know we found a way to crack the code for you socially 
I think it's also connected for me with like careerism and being in university and like, oh, you know, this is the most important time of your life. You know, you have to find, you know, a life partner for yourself and you have to start your career. So that for me is like almost like TED Talks or like how to be an impactful public speaker. Right. And of course, it's important to like be able to like communicate a story or talk to someone. Right. But for me, I always think about this video where this guy's talking about like body language and how to be like a good public speaker. And he's like, you want to have like an open palmed, you know, expression. Right. Because downward palms, that means you're being aggressive and authoritative. And I'm like, wow, there's like all these rules I need to keep in mind whenever I'm having any kind of like social engagement. And I would think about that every once in a while. And obviously, I think you know, while there is good advice generally in some of this stuff, right? Oh, you know, be confident in yourself, everything else, and like be entertaining. Like who knew that people want to be around like charismatic, funny people who seem like they're being authentic. Um, but, uh, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, it can be quite poisonous, right? Because it is this very like selfish ideology, right? Of just like, you have to like maximize your interactions with strangers and then like, you know, get sex from them or something like that. It's about as solipsistic as, as you can get, but it it definitely comes from the the place of, of engaging with other humans being something of a mystery for a lot of people. But of course, you know, I want to be the rated R guy. I don't want to be the PG 13 guy. I thought that was actually like a shockingly good piece of advice from Vince Vaughn. The idea that like, if you're, if you're trying to date, one would hope it's not always PG-13 romance, right? Like, you're a fucking adult. At some point, there should be some hotter action going on there. You should be something beyond just, like, doe-eyed and pathetic and, and hoping for, like, uh, love to strike you in the, in the most unlikely of places and the birds to sing and all that. Like, yeah, like, it, it's fine to be an adult when it comes to dating sometimes. Like, your expectations can actually be adult. It's okay. Yeah, if you want a PG-13, you could just be friends with the person. Like, yes. dating is inherently rated R. You're <laughs> fucking them. You're nutting inside them. It's like, it's a whole thing. That's, you very much are doing that. And if you're not, let me just say to the podcast listener who maybe isn't doing that, to try it. It's fun. I think my version of the PG-13 versus rated R thing uh, was this college humor video uh, from, like, you know, mid-2000s internet that really stuck with me. Um, and it's, like, the kinds of girls that you'll date in college or something. And one of them was like the best friend. Uh, and it's like, you know, she can always beat you in Mario Kart. And she's like your favorite sweater. But who would ever want to fuck your favorite sweater? And it just struck a chord <laughs> deeply within me for years. I was like, wait, I don't want to fuck a sweater. I, I have to. I can't be friends with these people. Right. And it, it, it like it's those sorts of like, I don't know, modes of thinking that just get stuck in your head. Right. Because obviously, like, I don't know, in the dating world, of course, you don't just want to like be friends with people right because that's that's easy enough to do right it's also and disingenuous I like, that i mean that's deceptive yeah you're being exactly. an asshole if you're like, trying to be friends with people that you're actually like trying in, to sleep romantically with, yes. interested in yeah that you're even just bag. try to be romantically interested yeah. yeah like yeah and it's it's a formula both for like turning you insane if if you believe that and it's also you know horrific and gross to the people that you're that you're doing this to and to some to some respect i i think this movie is very effective right because it is almost this like movie movie about growing up but at that sort of you know mid-20s stage of your life where it's just like hey like you know you have to there are things you need to heal from and there's like shit you've got to do and you need to figure out how to do it right and i think that that was one of the the brilliant points of this that i really enjoyed especially that like answering machine scene where john favreau's just like 
leaving those messages over and over and over again. And it's like, I, I think reflecting on this, I think everyone sort of has that moment where it's like, you know, you're acting like an idiot, but you don't know what else to do. And you're just stuck there. And of course, you know, if you reflect on it, you know, it brings you deep shame, but it should because it's something you learned from. And uh, I, I think that's like, you don't get too many of those films where it's just like, that stage of your life where you have to learn because all movies uh now are of course about processing your trauma with your chosen family while confronting toxic masculinity so it felt <laughs> like you know more more realistic in that sense yeah the, the i think the the answering machine scene is great just because uh even if you haven't done exactly that uh, i mean like for most people listening they probably don't have never seen an answering machine so they've definitely not literally done that <laughs> and then like i haven't done that but you know it it feels like i've done things of that sort i think everyone has because loneliness is like physically painful it's like an animal that's starving will lash out and when human beings are starved uh of like camaraderie or affection or all the things that come with like living in a society or a community uh like they lash out as well especially if you don't know what to do and, and so when john favreau is just like okay i know that that was not a good message if i leave it i'm that's the end of it i just left a bad message but maybe i can salvage it i need to do something i'm mm -hmm. so lonely i'll try again okay yeah. that's two bad messages now we got a real problem i gotta address this real problem with a smooth third message that just says oh i forgot my number here we go this is it oh that did not work out okay now we've got a real fucked situation <laughs> i need to call up and let her know that i'm I'm currently working through trauma right now and it's just like nope it's, it, it's each step logically makes sense to a person in pain uh and that's it's just such a a, a great scene um something you mentioned before about like figuring shit out and healing and learning how to like navigate the world. I would point out that PG 13 R uh, monologue that Vince Vaughn gives. It happens in a movie immediately after Favreau uh, just fucking emotionally unburdens himself on a random woman at the bar. Yeah. Like the, what they're mm -hmm. saying is that PG 13 shit is fundamentally, especially if you're trying to, to date them, it's, it's deceptive, but it's narcissistic. Why the fuck yeah. are you walking up to random people like a psycho and saying like, oh, my wife left me. I don't even think I'm good at comedy anymore. I'm, I'm just going to, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I don't have my business. I don't have an agent. It's just like, but just get a therapist. Like not, not to be the total liberal here, but like PG 13 trying to be that guy who's looking for a head pat. You, you just want like a mom or a therapist. That is not a way you should conduct yourself. It's actually bad for you and hurtful to the people around you that have to deal with your bullshit. Yeah, he gets into a little bit of the like, like narcissism. Yeah, it is narcissism. It, like his shtick here is very Woody Allen, uh, like through the movie. It's very like, woe is me, sad sack. But that is narcissistic. Yeah. There, there's a great quote from Orson Welles where he, he like fucking rails against Woody Allen. And he's like, he's the most selfish motherfucker I know. Because you have to be selfish to, to, to or arrogant. He's the most arrogant guy I know. Because you have to be arrogant to believe that like, uh, unburdening your problems on random fucking people is, is an appropriate thing to do and then now you're healed you're you, you get to force your therapy on other people like one of the little bits in the, in this that i love is favreau is heartbroken about a breakup it's not until like halfway through that you discover like it's his own fucking doing he moved across the country like he literally can't <laughs> deal with the fact that he's reaping the consequences of his own fucking actions goddamn like, consequence fairy coming in and 
punch him right in the dick. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. It's like, yeah, man. Like, most of the movie is about you getting over your own fucking selfishness and being like, oh, maybe I shouldn't be this, like, angry that she won't call me after I literally moved across the country and left her. It's like, yes, that's that, like, move along, man. Like, grow up. There is a, a like an underlying theme there of him dropping some of the bullshit and actually doing things for other people instead of forcing them to like emotionally support him at all times in all venues, including the most inappropriate possible ones. And yet, throughout it, Vince Vaughn supports him. He literally interrupts Vince Vaughn getting laid so that he can long distance call his ex. And all Vince <laughs> does is go, that's it. That's the worst of it. And then he supports him fully throughout it. Like, that's fucking beautiful. That's real friendship. There's, there's the bit where he's uh, breaking balls at the table and they're all getting drunk. And he goes to swing dance with Heather Graham. And you could tell his friends, and this is like not every friend group, there's like some dirtbags out there, but his friends just immediately uh block out anything in the world from that night that isn't just watching him and rooting for him yeah. just getting hammered watching their friend actually talk to another human being and dance and have fun and vince vaughn is just weeping <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it is like it is it has the veneer of dudes rock and like the, the the shitty toxic masculinity way that uh i don't have to explain to anyone listening to any leftist pod but <laughs> upon closer reflection or maybe just from where i am now these are healthier male friendships than most people have in 2020 absolutely like you you can go all yeah. the way through and it's just like even when your friend is being completely irrational and selfish interrupting you uh getting laid fucking disappearing for days at a time ron livingston is coming over with you know a, a hoagie and a quart of orange juice and telling him like hey man you just you're doing great just each day wake up and you'll get further from that hurt and you'll you will be normal again like let's just open the shades and and get this done you know the 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 guys go out to a bar get drunk and then they have a hilarious confrontation with uh the the white gangbangers of compton <laughs> just oh, <God>. excellent <laughs> casting on the lowrider crew uh and somebody pulls out a gun and it's just like oh man why, why do you do all this like so why are you carrying a gun why are you threatening people like it became his 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 buddies in this movie are constantly like checking each other when they're getting out of line they're going like you didn't need to get violent right like that that was absolutely inappropriate then later on they've reconciled with the guys that they they were going to shoot previously and they're in the apartment all playing games together playing nhl <laughs> <laughs> oh, it gives us hope for the future you know the the deepest divides among us you know communists anarchists marxist leninists the social democrats we can all come together and play nhl and beat the shit out of each other i i think simpler times simpler times and it's beautiful back when ea made good games just peaky blinders uh of left tendencies like no fighting no fighting no fucking fighting we've got nhl 2020 <laughs> <laughs> So this is a this is a bit of a Vegas movie too. I, I before I really knew anything about the movie, I thought it was mostly a gambling movie. What did you folks think about the the gambling aspect of it? You know, playing the cards, everything else. Because I I thought that was that was very enjoyable, uh, especially right off the top. Like this this boys trip to Vegas, um, and I, I love the beginning of uh, of this movie a lot because obviously he's like heartbroken about having this relationship uh, being over. 
And then I feel like the movie captures this sense of like, you know what, man, fuck it. Like, let's go to Vegas. Let's, you know, let's do this. Like, we're we're gonna we're gonna change this town forever with how fucked up we're gonna get and how much like pussy we're gonna get. And then it just cuts to them in the car, like still waiting, like to get there. Uh, then of course they go to the casino, and it's just like you know, old folks, you know, enjoying some some luck and and their cards. What what do you think of the Vegas experience in this film? I like. Uh, I, I think that cut is very important to, uh, like recognizing that the movie has taken ironic look at this sort of behavior. Yes, I like that early on. What you see is. You know, you, you see some guys that do not feel particularly like cool and virile and, and baller right now. And so Vince Vaughn is doing his best for his friend. He goes, you know what? doesn't matter. It's nine o'clock at night. We could be in Vegas in three hours. What they're they're trying on an identity like they're mantling a persona that is from an earlier time, has no natural connection to them. Like they are not Frank Sinatra. They are not like the mafia uh las vegas guys they don't have the fucking fedoras or whatever that they're imagining themselves wearing uh but they know that what they have currently does not make them feel empowered so vince vince like psychs them up and goes like hey maybe we're the big spenders go get your suit we're gonna wear our suit we're gonna do valet parking it's gonna be great and they hype themselves up and then immediately you just see the the disconnect that's just like no you really are just who you are in the world uh you can't escape that they really captured the like I, I actually was stationed in Vegas was the last base I was stationed at. So I'm very familiar with Vegas stuff and they capture the feel of being a broke person trying to pretend to not be broke at a Vegas casino really well. Yes. Uh, they also capture the off strip casino vibe. Cause that's what Vince Vaughn's like. He's like, yes, once it's older clientele, they'd love to get big spinners like us in here. It's like, no, they wouldn't. It doesn't matter how bad the casino is doing it. It, it it doesn't matter how like desperate and pathetic the vibe is when you walk in, which is most casinos make no mistake, have a strong reek of desperation when you walk in. Cause it's a fucking casino. No matter what the casino bosses don't give a shit about you. Right. They don't, nobody thinks you're cool or interesting. It shows their entitlement that they either believe or have to make themselves believe that like, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, sure, of course, you know, there's a lot of people at that casino, but we're, we're going to the Stardust or whatever. It's an older clientele, but when they see us, they're going to be like, oh, my God, look at these handsome uh, young men. Let's bring them in and give them the whole thing. And, you know, we'll be entitled to it. It'll work. It, like, they, they seem to have convinced themselves that that's going to work with their $300 spending money. And it falls apart when they get to uh, the high roller blackjack table, which is a $100 bet per bet. Hurts. And he counts out his 300 crumple $300. That's all in twenties. Right. It awkwardly counts it out has the, the dealer like impatiently waiting, takes it from him and hands him back three fucking chips, right? All your money. And it's three chips. And it, you can just watch them deflate. And it's like, that is a casino experience. If you've never had that happen to you before, that is what casino life is like. You walk in with like your small pot of money and you're like, this is precious to me. It's all that I have in the world right now. Like I'm going to try to have some fun. And, and then, you, and you know what? It, if I lose it, that's fine because this is my entertainment budget. I'm going to have mm-hmm. a nice night. It's going to be a nice night mm-hmm. out at the casino and you get your, chip. <laughs> and then you get your two chips and you lose them in one bet. And you're just like, fuck. I, I have to say that. Uh, I, I was like a poker guy back when that was like absolutely easy money. Like when the Chris Moneymaker and and those guys were on TV, I mean, people would just go to the go to the casino and throw money at you. No one knew anything about basic math. And so I, I you know, if there was a casino anywhere nearby, 
I'd go check it out. And I, I remember I was like in New Orleans or I, I forget where I was, but um, I like drove an hour and a half to this casino. I'm like, all right, I got my $500 here. I'll just play some poker. You know, I'm just going to sit there because if you're at the table, they give you free drinks and all that. And this is really a cheaper way of, of getting drunk and having a nice night out. You know, you get to bullshit with the people at the table, you know, go dancing. If you, It could be great. If I win, you know, I take myself out to dinner. And I got there and I, I sat at the table and I got my 500 in chips. It's like a nice rack of chips. It feels very good. I'm like, okay, let's settle in. And the first hand I got was pocket aces. And I went, oh, fuck. No. <laughs> <laughs> because I bet the other guy raised. I'm like, well, I, I have, yeah, no raise. And then he re-raised. And it's just like, okay, I guess I'm all in with aces. It's like doubling down on 11 in the movie. There is no, there's no excuse for not doubling down on 11 or not going all in with aces and no limit. Po- like, that is just, that's where you, well, you want have to, to do. be. Yeah. That is the, as good as it gets. And so I'm just like, okay, yeah, uh, uh, all in, called, yeah, kings, I had aces, immediately lost the first hand, all all my money gone, got back in the car and just drove 90 minutes <laughs> through the darkness. Just oh, empty. It, that feeling where you, you don't have internal organs anymore. It's just a <laughs> hollow shell with, with the night wind from the window whipping right through you and whistling. <laughs> just <laughs> bleak. Oh, that's that's beautiful because, like, I, I think this movie just, like, captures such a good sense of, like, having no fucking idea what you're doing and just trying to wing it uh, and being the sort of, like, impressive person. Um, I, I think the the casino stuff is probably my, my favorite bit of the movie. And, uh, you know, I, I love even, like, the little moments of, like, he's trying to talk about scotch and it's like, any, any Glenn, you know, I'll take that. Glenn, Glenn, um, Glenn Livid, uh, Glenn Fittich, uh, any, like, as long <laughs> as it's not a blend and he looks to the, the dealer, like, trying like, to impress the dealer. Like, Whoa, get this guy a hotel room. We got to keep him around. <laughs> got yeah, a whale. Yeah, that, uh, you were just saying about, like, being impressive is a big part of this. And, and you realize that, like, uh, being impressive is, sort of something I don't know, it feels like measurable like if you have money or status or, or you're doing exciting work or you're really hot like yeah you, you can be impressive but for the average person uh, and the average person does like find a mate and pair up like and being impressive is not actually a, a requisite and when he stops going like yeah well you know i have i actually you know my i don't have an agent here in california yet yeah you know i drink scotch uh no no blends please when he actually just is himself and can give someone like a, a genuine look at his particular like personality vicissitudes and that's when it actually works it's a feel-good movie it is i would say on the technical side one of the things i like about this movie one of the things i like a lot about this movie is it's before the modern era of movies. Uh, you know, there's like show don't tell that they always say for like writing and things like that. It applies to movies as well. And that most modern movies now tell you what to feel by having a thing happen and then cutting to an actor reaction and no lingering whatsoever. Like you don't get to feel it. They just tell you, you should feel sad now. He's making a disappointed face, right? Or you should feel angry. He's making an angry face. This was still back when like they bothered to let things breathe and they would show you by having you feel it as well. 
So it's like when he calls himself a comedian and everyone just stands there awkwardly and they hold it for a few seconds. You're like, yeah, no, I feel fucking awful for this guy right now. And it's like, yeah, you feel the moment. The same with the drive. Like instead of just showing them be tired for a second, they hold on them driving bored out of their fucking minds through the middle of the goddamn desert. You've never done the LA Vegas drive. It is so fucking dull. And it's like, they hold it for a few seconds so that you can actually feel the moment as well. And that's like, Kudos to Doug Lyman and whoever helped him edit this. It They actually bother to hold the moments and make you feel how awkward socializing your 20s can be. The like pumping yourself up to like walk across the room to talk to somebody and you standing awkwardly at the bar waiting for a bartender. Like they don't tell you that you should feel awkward. They just hold it for a little bit so you can just live in the moment with these people. Yeah, they, they don't do any favors uh to the characters with that editing which i love like at yes. the end where um vince vaughn is just like he, he's standing on the table you know he's going you're grown stuff and you're grown stuff and you're grown stuff right mm-hmm. nowadays they would cut there and let that be like the victorious uh monologue letting the audience know that hey his friend believes that his other friend has has finished his journey into some new understanding but Instead, they just linger for like seven seconds after he does that. And he's just standing on the table in a diner with people looking at him. And it's like, oh, yeah, no, I know Vince Vaughn's character thinks he said something really poignant. But you basically don't say anything poignant when you're that age in a diner (laughs) at fucking 3 a.m. So, no, you're just an asshole. (laughs) And And it ends with him saying, yeah, oh, I'm the asshole. And then like slowly climbing down off the table. Yeah, like you have to big dog some service workers uh, immediately <laughs> yeah. after that moment. Like, oh, you know, I'm never gonna. You just lost a customer, buddy. You know, I'm walking out of this place. But a very, a very '90s moment. Um, or, I, or you got to do mutual aid because he gives uh, 100% of the food available to him to just a random person in another booth. You know, he's he's actually feeding people. He's putting his go. his money where his mouth is. And doing mutual aid. So, you know, you can look at everything on, on the light or dark side. <laughs> I um I, I think that's a that's a very good point, uh, to bring up sort of how the the editing really helps the movie's perspective, right? Because it isn't this like celebration of these characters, uh, and it isn't this like biting indictment of them, uh, which it definitely would be if it were made today. Um, and, uh, the movie that I was, of course, uh, reminded of when you were talking about how, you know, the movie needs to sort of hold your hand and tell you how to feel other than sort of the Marvel stuff is of course, Silver Linings Playbook. Um, and, uh, I wish we got a Silver Linings Playbook version of this where like, you know, the Lumineers start playing, uh, when Jon Favreau is down on his luck and, uh, Jennifer Lawrence is in it. The 2012 remake of Swingers. My God, that would be. (laughs) <laughs> I like thinking about that movie. I wish I saw it. I like too that like they don't let everyone be like the characters aren't clever all the time. Like they are just winging it and without like the the uh, emotive signals in the film to say like oh that was good, oh that was bad. You were kind of uh mirroring the ambiguity of the other characters in the scene. Like like when Vince Vaughn is like throwing a fucking dollar chip at a waitress and being like, all right, here you go. They, they got this uh, shiny penny for you. If you make it quick with my scotch, anyway, I'll be timing you. <laughs> like you're like, I think I'm pretty sure that didn't work. I'm pretty sure he's just being <laughs> yeah. an asshole there. Uh, the person agreeing with me is the sad sack. So that makes me question, like maybe it is working. I don't know. Is this, is this how the movie is showing us to like model behavior? 
But then later on, when he's in the uh, airstream and he's telling the story, you're like, oh, no, this is good. Like, this is a good story. He, he is actually doing a good job of keeping people's attention and being funny and including his friend and, and uh, including every, it, like, it, it's a nice, there's no consistency. No one is just one thing. The guy that fucks up and is cringe earlier in the film is completely smooth later just because that's how fucking messy dating is. No one yes. is just a hundred percent on. I wonder like, how is your, how is your, like perspective changed on this movie over over the years because you're you're talking about uh before uh how it's been a long time since you've seen it and i i think it's always an interesting experience going back to like formative movies or movies that really like impacted you and then you know either being a little bit you know aghast going like oh shit this is like the dumbest thing i've ever watched or like appreciating something in a in a new in a new light you know with your your own you know life experience so i'm wondering like did any of that happen for you it's for me it was one of those things where it's like maybe this is joys of aging but when i was young what i took from the movie were the successes right i, I took where they were they were all joking around together i took the times where like they he tells them to be a bear the times where it's like successful and the girl gives him a number right like when vince vaughn walks up and like gets a number and then rips it up like I, you remember the times when they win now that I'm older, all I see is the times when they lose and it makes them more human. And it's just, I'm so much more appreciative of that, of seeing like them losing and then trying a new thing and supporting each other through it. Yeah, instead of sort of like Mary suing yourself as Vince Vaughn and just celebrating all the wins, you realize that actually a bigger part of, you know, pursuing human connection is how you cope in a healthy manner, ideally, with the just myriad of failures that you have right like like how do you like, well the first time i saw it i was just like god this john favreau guy fucking sucks like uh, what a shitty character but now i realize like no everyone is him at some point yeah. and watching his friends just try to rehabilitate him also they don't have the answer but everyone is just trying their best to support each other uh that's sort of what hit me uh this time mm. also i love that like they're they're proto woke about stuff too like well, the first time i saw it i glazed over those little throwaway comments like when you see vince vaughn walk away and tear up the uh the number of the barnard grad he was just talking to uh, <laughs> like as a young person i'm just like oh damn that's fucking baller look at that he just do you know what he just wants his friends to know that he could fucking do it uh, and then I just sort of checked out watching it this time. He does that and goes back to his friends and his friends are like put off by it. it it's very cringe. Yeah. Like what you, you literally just went over there, put yourself through an unpleasant conversation with someone you weren't interested in. So you could come back and get a bit more of our approval. That's fucking sad. Vince Vaughn. Like they're just like, I wouldn't have done that, man. Come on. Yeah, they're like, that's fucking gross. Why would you, why would you do that? <laughs> like, they're all just checking him. <laughs> Uh, same uh, when their friend pulls out a gun, it's the same thing. It's a bunch of people be like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Are you trying to get violence? He's like, you don't know, man. I grew up in LA. And they're like, you grew up in fucking Anaheim. Like, calm down. You don't need to do this shit. Like, we can just have a normal night. Why do you need to be aggressive? Yeah, John Favreau, tries, he tries talking to some women and, and they're, you know, like a stereotype of of uh, materialistic, like LA women. And, and, and his takeaway is just like, Oh, I'm, I'm telling you, I'm fucking sick. They're all just fucking skanks. All they care about is your car. And it's just like Ron Livingston's like, 
Well, I mean, no, that's just true of one interaction you you, you had. Don't, don't fucking stress <laughs> over it. Right? They're just good dudes to each other, doing their best. They're saving each other from from the dark path. You know, once once the inkling of like, oh, I can't stand women. You know, they just do this to me. It's like, hold on, brother. Have you tried loving yourself? <laughs> and then you know, they're they're fixed. Oh, I I did have one gripe. Um. Um, and this this is obviously a sort of a time period thing. Oh, there um, are gripes to be had with this movie. Don't, don't yeah, don't worry. Oh, I don't, I, I don't I want just, to give anyone the impression this is like a stellar film. This this is a oh, very it's, it's silly little in movie. Every way. It's perfect in every way. I just got one. I, I just got one little issue with it. Um, but uh, when uh, I think it was uh, Vince Vaughn, um, it's like he's not gonna go out with this woman because like she's business class. She's got a big butt because she can't fly coach, and it's like. The, the appreciation of asses over time has obviously shifted quite a bit. Um, and this was, I think this was definitely more of a, more of a top heavy period in, in male history, right? Like the, <laughs> well, this, the this was like, this was peak Kate Moss era. Yes. Yes. Like it's, it's like, you're either like, you know, completely slender. And I think a little bit after this, it was like, you need to have huge breasts. Um, the Pam Anderson era. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So it, it was fascinating to go back to that and go like, in insulting well obviously like you know in, insulting you know people based on their appearance not very good unless they're like you know the people who control our lives every day like jeff bezos um but uh it's just like not appreciating a, a large ass i just felt you know stung by that it's like you're you're missing out right there's this whole there's this whole spectrum of experience that you've denied yourself because it's just sort of this social code right it's like ah uh, big butts can't do it you know don't like that so it's just you know it's a time capsule it's a fascinating time capsule it is it's it does work as like capturing mid-90s la especially because they're all various out-of-work actor types which you know he wrote it about his actual life experience sean favreau did when he moved out there so it, it is true to life on that front um I was going to say, one of the fun technical things about this movie, because it is, uh, it was made on the cheap. Favreau wrote it. He tried to shop it around, and uh, he had his casting down. He knew he wanted Vince Bond to play the best friend, and they kept basically telling him to fuck off. And so he, he decided to make it on the cheap. Doug Lyman also was a struggling artist at the time and was like, no, man, we can make this for nothing. One of the fun ways you can tell it was made on cheap is that there's a montage in there that they're trying to time up to the music. And they don't have quite enough footage. And so there's a random three seconds of slow-mo added in there in a place where it does not work at all, purely because they didn't have enough footage to finish the sequence and time it up to the music. And so there's just this like odd jarring moment where you're like, why was there just a slow-mo of like er everything else they were doing was fine, but the like one move with the hand turned into slow-mo for three seconds. Looking like, at the photo of the uh, X. Yeah. As it, it after the photo's already been turned over and he's just like putting it away, they slow mo that and it's like, yeah, it's it, they're forcing it because they don't have enough, uh, they don't have enough footage to do this. But it it's also a nice movie from the perspective of like you can actually make decent art with very little funding because that's what they did with this. They had basically nothing. None of them were well known. None of them had like any sort of resume that would have worked. Yeah, hey, the movie still worked out. So you can make things on the cheap and have them be decent. I think it's emblematic of a period of like American indie films in the nineties. Obviously it's a Miramax movie. Um, so yeah, I was uh, going to say it, it, it is kudos to Miramax there. 
uh you, you can you, there's lots of things to say about miramax but on this film and in life like they're willing to take shots even when, <laughs> even when they absolutely shouldn't you know they they take risks right and they're bold um and uh it, it's sort of I, I i am not going to install this movie by drawing too many comparisons to the works of kevin smith um, because obviously he was sort of a, a Miramax darling at the time, but it sort of reflects this like interesting period where like scripts were like maybe the most important thing about a movie, right? Like witty banter, interesting dialogue, friends who go on these kinds of journeys, right? Like I'm thinking about a movie like Clerks um, that, you know, Miramax loved and was obviously very profitable. Um, and then you think about like sort of the filmmaking techniques of uh, of this movie and they are very sort of like, unrefined right like i'm thinking about how like there there's these two moments uh right in in swingers where they're homaging uh this like walk from reservoir dogs and the copacabana tracking shot from goodfellas um <laughs> and uh especially the reservoir dogs one i'm not a huge fan of reservoir dogs so it's just like oh my god we're we're doing this right like what sort of brilliance do they think is is going on here and then with the the copacabana shot it's like okay like the dialogue isn't terribly interesting and that seems you know notable because of like you know the incredible music playing during it and like yeah, the fantastic ending that uh, that tracking shot has in goodfellas it's just oh what'd you say you do i'm in construction um so this is just sort of like you know a strange homage type thing i don't know what are, what are your thoughts on on those sorts of like knowing homages to those movies because like the characters talk about the movies um and obviously they were probably very important films <laughs> to like an indie filmmaker in the 90s but I, I can't sort of wrap my head around like what's the importance or what are they trying to say with that i don't mind homages like this and favreau does a lot of homages through his career i don't mind homages because if you can't be let's say original although originality is always built on something else but let's say you you don't have like a very specific aesthetic, right? You're not going to come up with something that like feels unique and stylistically different on your own. I don't mind doing an homage and then building it into your own thing, right? Like Favreau is basically doing that right now with a, he's running the Mandalorian series. And he went like, we'll just make it an homage to Westerns. And it's like, yeah, that that's okay. You can do that. There are, there are some formulas for making films and TV that are quite good and you can adapt them. So I don't mind that they're like, doing the homage, but still trying to fit in. Like he still makes sure to fit in his own personality and writing and perspective in there. Like, I don't mind that because then at least you're making something, you're at least imitating something that is quite good. Right. Mm -hmm. I mind more when they go like, we can do it all on our own. And you, what you just get is this like weird lifeless product at the end of it. That's I, there's a lot of movies like that now where it's like, I would, I would have preferred if you homage something because then at least there would have been some interesting shots you wouldn't have invented the interesting shot, but it would have been interesting. The composition probably would have been better. There might've been more interesting camera movement. Like you might've had a better plot. It's okay to do an homage. If like, that's what you've got, just, you know, make sure your own voice is in there. So I don't really mind it that much. I don't think those specific like camera moments are super meaningful or impactful to me, but like the overall feel of trying to do the homage and like fit it in there. Yeah, that works. I think it's uh, taking a, a, a bit of a different, take here I, I think it's sort of like i think those are cringe but also nuanced characterization through how cringe they are maybe this is too specific a pull but brett 
uh and evan you know you're, you're a film guy so maybe you grew up with this type of dude uh the, the type of dude that you know from a young age is into like movies and making movies and gets like a camcorder and then he records like his nine-year-old friends you know doing save it Pri- saving private ryan uh remake on the beach in front of their house you know what i'm talking about yeah. Oh, or, yeah. Or or like then they get older into their teens and and they've got like the brooding phase and they make these little home movies that are fucking 60 minutes long, no irony and like they're they're self-inserting uh they're they're inserting themselves into characters that are like a mob boss and they're shooting it in their dad's study or whatever <laughs> or, or like someone has a katana, there's always guns involved and it's very like it's literally just teenagers uh mary suing themselves because they like they like the movies they like films and they don't really have an identity beyond the the media and ip that they consume and so that's that's their way of like self-expression and while it is cringe like if you went and watched some like 16 year olds uh camcorder movie about the departed or whatever it'd be cringe but they would genuinely be loving it and you'd understand where they're coming from when they're all around the table talking about like Goodfellas and Reservoir Dogs and like, oh, how cool is that? Well, I don't know. I think it was pretty baller. Yeah, but that's pretty pimp though when they have the slow walk. Yeah, that that shit's great. And then the very next cuts are a shitty fucking simulacra of those shots. They didn't even execute it well. Like they, they didn't <laughs> quite nail the slow motion. The the Copacabana uh, homage is is underwhelming. And to me, it just felt like. Yeah, these are the guys casting about for identities in 90s media. And even in their own imagination, their conception, I'm walking to the bar, we're all basically Reservoir Dogs. We, the viewers, see it and go like, oh, no, you definitely aren't. This shit sucks. <laughs> uh, to me, it was like, you know, it was cringe, but that, that cringe informed the the way we should have looked at those characters. I think that's a really good point. And it obviously reminds me of, growing up in uh ye old nova scotia because like for a solid like year or two one of my buddies in school and his older brother would like go out into the woods and like shoot these like kind of horror movies and just like throw them up on youtube like those kind of 20 minute uh things because they like experimenting with makeup and everything else and I, I, i remember i was in a couple of them and it was it was just so much fun right because you sort of like have this sort of like language of you're starting to develop this language of like things you like um, and you're starting to figure out what your own taste is. So you just like insert those things completely um, into a work. Um, so it's like, oh, I really like like Friday the 13th, but I also really like the Coen brothers. So we'll try to smash these together and, and see what happens. And it's like, it's a really fun, you know, experimental creative process. And that's something I've like struggled with uh, maybe when I was younger, but I'm, you know, it still creeps in the back of my head every once in a while of just like, you know, what's my voice, right? Like, what do I what do I create? Right. Like what's the unique thing that I have? And I think you kind of see it like, well, it's emblematic in this movie, right? Like visually and like, you know, in a, the script, you know, it's, it's sort of like, you know, akin to other sort of nineties indie films that you, that you'd see. Right. But like, even if, you know, it's like, Oh, this wasn't a very elegant homage to, you know, another movie, you do still, you know, create something that's meaningful for you. And obviously for this movie, you know, meaningful for a lot of other people. And then you can take that experience and eventually you can make the Mandalorian. You can be the shiny guy uh, standing in the middle of the, you know, the the 360 degree 
LED set, mm-hmm. and you can make Chef. You can you can accomplish you know making one of the greatest films of all time with Chef. Yeah, I mean it is a healthy process, like e- experimenting and failing and trying to find what your the, the the sort of creative expression and the cool that is anchored to your actual being. Uh, like those those movies that you know your friends film out in the woods or or my friends, you know they see a movie in which you know somebody goes not today motherfucker and then they unsheath their katana and they go that was cool I want to be cool and they film themselves doing that and they're just like yeah that was cool and it's like well no one is a fictional character who actually is a samurai and so within the context it's congruent. Uh, this movie, uh, especially with those homages, it just feels like they're highlighting when people try for a coolness that isn't congruent with their personality and just fail. Mm -hmm. And you just have to keep doing that, uh, either creatively or interpersonally dating, fucking, uh, building a social, you just have to figure out, and it may not be the thing you like, but you just have to figure out what sort of cool is congruent with you. And the only way to do it is just eat shit over and over. And uh, honestly, I'm jealous of those kids that made those movies because I'm, I'm sure it was creatively fulfilling and they definitely learned what not to do. Yeah. And it's, it's so fun to, to look back on that. And I'm sure John Favreau is looking back at this now at the same time we're recording and going, man, those were the days, you know, cause there's this, there's a sense of freedom, right? You're not worried. You're there. Isn't like this sort of self-censoring, right. Of just like, Oh, you know, this isn't quite right. It has to be perfect. Blah, blah, blah. Is this really who I am? Like that sort of self doubt. It's just like, you know what? Let's have fun. I like, I like Blade Runner. I'm just going to run around in a coat and say like, my God, the replicants are loose, right? It's just like, you know, have fun with it. And, you know, that's also the lesson of this movie, right? It's just like, like this, this stress and worry and like self-hatred basically um, that these characters hold uh, really stifles them throughout their lives. And they need to, you know, let go of some things in order to, in order to face the future. And I really like that monologue with the office space guy uh and john favreau it's like it, it could come across as like you know very corny or whatever but it, it just felt like wow he's a good friend and i feel like you know most people have been in that position with like you know a bad breakup or something and you feel like well that that was the end of <laughs> everything you know my life built up to that relationship and now it's over and you have to like reconstruct uh your identity and i think that uh you know it's nice to see I don't know, people getting help for that <laughs> in a movie. It's, uh, you know, amidst, you know, these guys, you know, calling, you know, women skanks and everything else and, you know, not fantastic behavior, but those bits of like. Trying you know, desperately to be cool and then in between actually showing a little glimmer of humanity. Yeah. <laughs> when, yeah. They, when they're alone and they don't have to be cool, actually having basic compassion for each other. That Ron Livingston, uh, the office space guy, his little monologue is, is a, a, just like a reinterpretation of the opening of Sleepless in Seattle, where he's describing how like painful it is to be without his wife now. Right. And and that one's like more eloquent and poetic, the Sleepless in Seattle version, like as it would be the, the movie hinges on that being eloquent and poetic, but like it, it's, it is uh, the exact same sentiment moved in the exact same order of like the way you get through pain and process it and how you get past it. And you go day by day. So I, I loved seeing that, like, because, I mean, this came out, like, three years after Sleeps in Seattle. So, like, there's no way that wasn't, like, sort of top of mind when you're discussing breakups. And so I, I love that Ron Livingston uh, is still 
in his own words, capable of relaying some really great advice uh, from like a younger man that he had heard elsewhere. I, I don't know. I love that. As a, as a huge rom-com fan, I love when anybody crips stuff from them. I also, I kind of like that monologue. I mean, it's, it, it's dudes Rocky, but I mean, when you are in a long-term relationship, like breakups, look, the short-term stuff, I don't know. It, it's whatever, but like, it really is like addict behavior. Like your body is used to a certain amount of endorphins. You've fallen into certain patterns and rituals of existing with this other person. And when all of a sudden they are gone, uh, your, your body needs some time to like go through the withdrawals. And when you're in there, like you are not rational. And the way his friends just like seem to understand that and go like, yeah, you're going to do some real crazy junkie like stuff while you get off of being on smack for six years. And the advice that Ron Livingston gives there would be just as valid to people like struggling with addiction, which is just like, no, you don't just intellectually decide like I'm leaving now. I'm no, this is no longer what my life is going to be like. And then everything's fine. Like you just take it one day at a time, you know, wake up, experience a high amount of pain and then wake up and maybe experience less pain over and over, over and over trying to do the best you can uh, until one day you wake up and you're like, huh, I think I can start rebuilding some shit now. It wasn't eloquent, but I, I think it kind of was true. I, I've been cruising IMDb and I discovered uh, like the first movie that it recommends if it's like you enjoyed Swingers, you got to watch this. Have you ever seen the 2001 movie Made starring again Vince Vaughn and John Favreau? I remember they, they try to like run back Swingers, but it didn't quite yeah, work. Yeah, it doesn't work. Yeah, I have never seen this, but uh, I love it because the poster just says it's Swingers meets The Sopranos, which everyone has been asking for. Everyone wants, you know, it's peanut butter and chocolate. And uh, that's I definitely want to watch that movie now. Yeah, what, what, this movie didn't have enough fucking Frank Sinatra and uh, gangster references. <laughs> need some good dean martin in my life i i used to have this uh like the greatest hits of dean martin uh cd when i was in like middle school um so for a while i was like you know what career aspiration wise i think i could easily be a crooner you know that's that's the fucking life um maybe Dude, Evan, it's 2020 everything's terrible just go for it yeah why it why is, would you not go for it live your best you life wanted to be a crooner i mean i, I should be, when like, are you gonna be a crooner do some crooning to today you know new york new no york. no There's why now why, why today when would now be a good time for you to pursue your dreams will it be tomorrow's now, now? Good... okay so you said it let's hear it croon okay what's what's a good song to oh my god i feel like i'm i'm tony robinson <laughs> if you're ready to embarrass yourself on a podcast say i <laughs> oh man but like i'm just I'm, saying I'm if you were to unleash the giant within that was a good one <laughs> because <laughs> like this movie starts with a dean martin song right and it's just like it just it just brought me back into that life you know you're you're in the club the drinks are flowing you're you're drunk on stage crooning about you know that's amore when the moon hits your eye and it's a big pizza pie like it's just i i love dean martin i love that sort of genre of, of crooning vegas music so you know, I'm going to record an album. You know, this podcast has inspired me. You know, I'm going to make a little EP. I'm going to drop it on the... On also, the, though, uh, that wasn't that wasn't my experience. I never got the drunk on stage and crooning. I can't... 
I can't quite imagine it, but if you sang a little for me, I think I could. Okay. I need I need a good song to uh I'm I'm looking up. You can you can hear the sweat coming from his palms right now. (laughs) It's great. Good good, got high fidelity. I'm completely dry, you know? Oh, Silver Bells? Oh, a classic Christmas song. All right, let's let's see it. A lot of preface. Silver bells. Silver bells. It's Christmas time in the city. Hear them ring. Hear them ring. Ding-a-ling. Ding-a-ling. Soon it will be Christmas Day. It's that, you know? I've got a career, baby. I'm in the Nova Scotia Kitchen Party group right now. I'm uploading that video. Everyone's grandma is saying, wow, that young man is going places. And I did it. I'm doing it for myself. This movie and you guys today, you've inspired me to pursue my real passion. I'm no longer going to be a burnt out nonprofit worker. I'm going to sing in the clubs. Are the clubs You can do both. No. Don't limit yourself. You can do both. Thank you. I, I can I can be sad at a desk dealing with, you know, cases of people at, you know, the most miserable points in their lives. And I can sing New York, New York, like nobody's business. Well, I mean, it, it could also be the case that you could take the experience of one to the other. I'm sure many times there will be the occasions where you are, you're crooning and it will still be the saddest moment in someone's life. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, wait, that shout out. I, I just, uh, I'm looking at IMDb. Shout out to Doug Lyman. Uh, HBO Max's pandemic heist rom-com lockdown assembles all-star cast for Doug Lyman. So there will oh, be, no. he will be directing a pandemic heist rom-com called Lockdown. God. I'm ready oh, for it. No. We're definitely watching that one. Yeah, we are. I, I love heist movies. Brett loves uh, rom-coms. rom-coms. Let's fucking see it. It's like that uh, Michael Bay uh, COVID-19 movie. Uh, I think that's coming out by the end of the year. It's just like, what if COVID-19 destroyed the entire world and lasted for like five years? So I'm, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of exciting pieces of media on the horizon for us to get excited about. All right, Rob and Brett, uh, what did you think? Where, where are you settling on Swingers? Did you enjoy revisiting it? Thoroughly, yeah. I, 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 uh, way more than I thought it would. It was actually an extremely watchable movie. Yeah, I thought this would be like a, a problematic fave um, because in my memory, when I think about the times when I had this poster on my wall and I really enjoyed the film, uh, you know, I, I, it was just like, I know it was definitely even less woke than I am now. So surely the movie must be tough to watch in 2020. And what I realized watching it is it wasn't that the movie was problematic. It's just, I was more problematic back in the day. <laughs> I was just, I was just cringing, remembering myself you know, sitting in a wife beater, just like eating uh, ramen noodles and nodding like you're so money and you don't even know it, Rob. (laughs) (laughs) It's just so I I have said every catchphrase in this movie a million times, not in the last fucking seven or eight years. uh, No, it's been a minute. Thank God. But just like uh, the movie itself, it acquitted itself. Well, Uh, my worship of it back in the day, probably not healthy, but I got to say these 90 minutes just flew by yeah a shout out to the movie for only being 90 minutes as well thank god but yeah if you can look over if you can overlook some of the um frankly just like dumb slurs and guys trying to impress each other by 
is clearly misbehaving. Again, when they're in private with each other, they're they're like good friends. But as soon as anyone at all shows up, they all feel the need to perform their coolness and transgressiveness. And if if you don't recognize that that is in fact them pointing out the flaws of the character and you think that is like the cool Vince Vaughn riff that's meant to be glorified, I think you're probably not going to enjoy this movie. But if you can bring a certain amount of uh, these are dumbass dudes rock guys that love their friend and do not understand uh, women, the world, pop culture, or really anything any more than <laughs> anyone else does, uh, I, I think you'll I think you'll have a good time with it. I think it's actually a pretty decent movie. I agree. You know, I, I went in pretty much like completely cold uh, with this. Didn't really know anything about it. I think I saw a clip of uh, some of the casino bits uh, before I watched it. And I had a good time with this. Again, have to agree. 90 minutes. Fantastic. Really enjoy the length of this one. Uh, and the performances are great. Like, I really like John Favreau. He had this fantastic, awkward, nervous uh, energy throughout the entire thing uh vince vaughn i mean what a career he's had it was fun to watch him in this and yeah it was it was a nice movie and i really appreciated our conversation about it uh to spring a surprise on you guys um i forgot to mention there's a there's a segment at the end of the program called recomradations where you recommend a piece of media or life experience or something you've done recently anything that you want to recommend uh so do, do you have one lined up uh, I would say, I mean, I wasn't ready just off the top of my head. Uh, you know what? They say don't, but stick your dick in the pool filter. Uh, the suction feels nice. <laughs> no, but actual media, um, this is, I recommend this every time, so maybe it's boring. But uh, Convenience Store Woman, the novel by Siaka Murata, uh, is probably my favorite book uh, I've ever read. Like Swingers, it is short. It is compact. I think it's like 110 pages nice big font uh it follows it's it's got Murata has a very interesting ideology um she sort of does the michael brooks thing of being ruthless with systems and very kind with individuals and the characters she creates are all like flawed they're all human they're all just like doing their best and not understanding the world around them and getting crushed by it uh in the convenience store woman it, it, the story is about, you know, a, a girl that gets a job at a Japanese convenience store at like age 17. And now she's like age 36, uh, maybe not entirely neurotypical. And society is starting to uh, see her more as an annoyance, a, a machine that isn't as efficient as it used to be. And it, it's really this like, for me, it was a very affecting uh, look at the way capital just completely dehumanizes everyone and the way that you have to make some amount of peace with that for better or worse to exist without going absolutely insane and the character of kiko is is really good um she meets a guy that is basically uh, american marxist podcaster uh <laughs> who is a, a great character and absolutely loathsome yeah who like has the right ideas but the absolutely wrong attitude about everything and then kiko sort of has like a good attitude uh but just is unable to confront the ideas that govern her life on a day-to-day -day basis i can't can't recommend it enough convenience store woman i'm not doing it justice great book it's fantastic it's a great book i've read it 
does stand up to his recommendation. Uh, off the top very of my funny too, very funny book. It's top of my head for me, I would say uh, a deeper back catalog for Bong Joon Ho, the guy who did Parasite. Basically, everything he does is vaguely anti-capitalist in some way, shape, or form. So, like mm-hmm. anything you watch of his is good. Like the man is a technical genius when you go back to his old stuff. But watch Mother; it's a deeply fucked up movie. Uh, the basic premise is uh, it's about this mother. She's the title character. It's all about her. Her son is accused of murder. That's the basic premise. And every part of it is disconcerting. And the ending just makes you hate everything and just feel like horrible. I love it. It's so good. And the way he shoots a bunch of different stuff like hits you uh, in a way emotionally that you do not expect. So it's really, it's a, it's a fantastic movie. If you like Parasite, go back and watch that one. Every one of his movies is great, but that's one that like doesn't get enough credit for being uniquely well shot and just uncomfortable that's awesome and if you're interested uh in sort of the bong joon ho back catalog or movies like that um the criterion channel has this like new korean cinema like collection right now um that i i sort of want to work through and uh because i watched the host on there like last month and i love that movie so much um my recomradation this week uh, is going to be a movie that has one of my favorite scripts of all time, uh, one of my favorite openings of all time. Uh, it's definitely one of the best movies of the 2000s. Uh, it's the 2007 Tony Gilroy movie, Michael Clayton, uh, starring George Clooney. I don't know. If it's you- a good one. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a good. It, oh, I, I love it so much. The, the cast is amazing because I always forget just the level of people who are in this movie. You got George Clooney, Tilda Swinton, Tom Wilkinson, and Sidney Pollack. Uh, and of course, Michael Clayton's a fixer at a high powered New York law firm who stumbles into a conspiracy, uh, not going to say the nature of it, um, and things unravel and people get hurt and shit's fucked up. And I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic exploration of like power and how that feels. (laughs) And it's, 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 I love that movie. I, I haven't seen it in such a long time. Um, and uh, the last time I watched it, I don't think I gave it enough enough space <laughs> to just do its its Michael Clayton goodness. Um, so yeah, that, I, that movie has a strong current. You have to sort of just like step in and let it sort of whisk you along through the plot beats. It's it's yeah. very easy to get wrapped up in uh, if you know you have the time. It's it's a satisfying little. Uh, it's a suspense movie, but not like a legal thriller. They're all lawyers, but it's not about like you know going to court. It's just about being powerful and having enough money that you can shape the world however you want and who yeah. does that and how it's it's like a great mixture of like a crime movie a conspiracy thriller like a good character study um and you know i love george clooney very handsome man of course it's nice to reflect on how handsome george clooney is um but yeah my recommendation michael clayton if you haven't seen it watch it if you ha- if you have seen it rewatch it you know it's a fun for the whole family um brett rob i want to thank you so much for coming on kino left this week um if if an incredibly off chance that someone has listened to this podcast and they don't know about your podcast dumb and awful um what's your show about and where can people find you on the computer our show is basically what what it says on the 10 it's dumb and awful it's us discussing things that are stupid as fuck or terrible or some combination of the two a lot of a lot of this sort of conversation you'll see in our things as well it's like, I would say it's, um, 
it's us existing under a political system that is some combination or alternating between the poles of being very dumb uh, or very awful, right? Like that's just, that is our political system. You're, you're either getting fucked because no one cares about you or you're getting fucked because they actively are rooting against your interests. And so we, we look at the, we look at the news and sort of what's going on. And then from there, we try to figure it out. Like we do not try to claim that we have read all of the Marxist books, the absolute best you can read them. We do not have a nuanced understanding of uh, Parenti or fucking who, who, what, again, what the fuck is Deleuze? We don't know. There are other, <laughs> there are other shows for that. I don't care, frankly. Uh, if, if I would say the last couple of years of our show has, has been a, either a good faith and or embarrassing journey to understand uh, what modern leftism, especially in America, actually is. So we have people on that, like, Mark's Madness is a great podcast that focuses on, like, Marxist texts. He came on and did an episode I have to recommend uh, called Books, and it's just him explaining, like, what the top 10 uh, Marxist texts, what, what do they say, what are they about, how do you incorporate it into your praxis, right? Other people, we had John from Beep Beep come on and explain, well, what does it mean to be an anarchist, Right. Because we're we're dumb guys. We're from fucking Florida. I don't I don't know what that shit. I thought it was like spray painting shit and like clogging <laughs> ATMs, which I guess that's something <laughs> called insurrectionary anarchism. I don't know. But you know, we got John. We we have Bryn uh, talking about what it, what is a Marxist Leninist. Like, if you are someone that has questions that you feel are stupid and you're afraid to ask, let us be uh, the 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 Slavic front throwing itself on the. The, the <laughs> we'll, we'll take the bullets for you and ask so you don't have to be embarrassed uh I, i'll be embarrassing instead and plenty of florida stories along the way yeah a lot of florida stories it, it's technically under comedy <laughs> <laughs> well i i mean i i can't sing your praises enough i i love the show i've been a patron for a long time i really love listening and i think my my introduction was probably the episode uh you folks did with dumb bitch media my friends over there the door uh, one of the funniest podcast episodes I think I've listened to, and it's it's a joy to to listen to you guys and try to listen to every new episode. I also think the Florida Roundtable episode you did with uh, Pearson Bull from Coffee with Comrades, another great jumping on place. He's good. Friend of the show. So, yeah, I really appreciate you taking the time to come on this program. And if you well, enjoy- let me just say, let me sure. just say that, that that's very kind of you to say. Um, uh, definitely subscribe uh, listen to subscribe get on patreon for those shows uh, uh coffee with comrades and dumb, dumb bitch media is just like you know i i don't like to play favorites but that to me is the funniest uh leftist podcast uh evan sophie are extremely funny um absolutely it, it doesn't matter who goes on as a guest like it's always funny they just have they have a perspective and a sense of humor that when they say something makes you go like Oh yes, no, of course. That's exactly what that's what I would have said if if I was smarter and more clever and quicker. Um, so can't recommend them enough. Yeah, I very good friends. Uh, you know, they'll even have someone as dumb as me on the show. It'll come off sounding very fart, uh, fart and smutty, smart and funny. Um, yeah, fart so- and smutty is like that's that's got to be the next. If dumb and awful doesn't work out, I'm doing fart and smutty. <laughs> It's, you know, this, this real drive time radio. Oh God. If you liked this, 
you can review the show. And if you say nice things about me, I will read it on the program. Uh, and of course, there's a Kino Lefter Patreon. Um, I just wrapped up my month-long series on modern James Bond. So if you want to listen to all the Pierce Brosnan movies, uh, that's in the Patreon. All the Craig ones are in the in the free feed. Because I think this is the first episode I will have done after my, my month-long sojourn into James Bond. So you can... You can hit that up. And of course, links to the Discord and the Facebook group are in the episode description. So uh, I want to extremely, guys... extremely, uh, extremely quick James Bond uh, a take. Yes. All the guys in Swingers are cooler than James Bond. <laughs> James Whoa. Bond's a fucking weirdo. He has no male friends. He is just wandering around. Just he is doing the trying to be cool thing everywhere he goes. He has tons of uh, unresolved issues and trauma that he's made a personality type for some reason instead <laughs> of just handling it so he stops injuring everyone uh around him he's rude all the time people only put up with him because of the the professional status he has uh every single person in swingers would be a better uh friend to you than fucking james bond would be and i that's that's my take in the same way looking back at swingers gave me uh, a new perspective I, I was watching James Bond films recently, and what a sad loser that guy is. <laughs> you know, he needs to fuck on screen, otherwise he's behaviorally identical to a rich incel. Yeah. <laughs> you, you know, uh, the guy from Office Space wouldn't throw you in a dumpster after you died saving his life, you know? He, he cares right. about you, and he cares about your emotional well-being and your personal development. Yeah, love those movies. James Bond fucking sucks. <laughs> that guy sucks. <laughs> He's, he's certainly not a friend of mine. Well, yeah, thank you so much, guys, for coming on. And uh, to the fantastic listeners of this show, I'll see you again in your podcatcher next week. Bye-bye. Kino Lefter is a proud member of the Harbinger Media Network. You can find great leftist Canadian podcasts like Big Shiny Takes, 49th Parahel, De Planche de Vache, Habiti Please, Alberta Advantage, Tech Won't Save Us, and The Progress Report on the network. To find out more and become a supporter of the network, head over to harbingermedianetwork.com. Thank you.